Hi, everyone, and welcome back for the second installment of our Postdocs Talking Community Special, coming from the captivating Danish People's Meeting on Bornholm. This annual celebration of democracy brings together people from all walks of life in Denmark, and it creates the perfect setting to share science with society. I'm your host, Gretchen Rapaski, and I'm thrilled to be your story guide once again. Let's get back to Bornholm. So our second and final storyteller today is Lena Hjort. Lena is a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Copenhagen. She works in the Center for Basic Metabolic Research. She moved to Copenhagen about 12 years ago from the island of Fyn. And when she was about midway through her PhD studies, she went to Tanzania and she happened to get involved in a study there. It was somewhat of a coincidence from what I understand. And if you ask her what she says about that, she says that she has stuck on ever since. So, Lena, the microphone is yours to tell us a bit more. Thank you so much, Gretchen. Okay, it's the beginning of June and I'm in Tanzania. It's early morning after a good night's rest under my mosquito bed net. And I just had an avocado passion fruit smoothie that Mama Frida made for me for breakfast because it's that season of the year. I'm preparing to go to work. I'm waiting for Dr. Minja to be ready to pick me up so we can go to the field station together. I can still hear the chickens and the rooster that woke me up this morning as I look around this old property um, that is pretty much ready to be completely renovated. The house is surrounded by a wild green and lush garden. We have mango trees, oranges, corn and tomatoes growing and blooming there. And a 20 centimeter long millipede walks across the terrace where I'm sitting. I have still not gotten used to these bugs since this is my sixth time here. In the distance, I see the hills and the outskirts of the Usambara mountains. And further northwest up, about four hours drive from here, is Kilimanjaro, Africa's tallest mountain. I'm in a rural area where no tourists comes, in a village called Kurokwe. At work at the Tanzanian Research Field Station, I first drop up some stuff, and then I say, Mambo, Mambo, Habari, and Suri, <laughs> to all, like saying good morning to all the staff that I'm working together with today. And here I really stand out not just because I'm the only pale-skinned Caucasian, but because my like dress I'm wearing today, a plain light blue, blue um, simple dress, is really fading out, comparing to the local staff's beautiful, very colorful dresses and shirts. We will spend the day working together on a research project on health in pregnancy and in childhood. I step out of the field station, out to the red dirt trail, 
and I crossed the street and entered the back entrance of Magunga Hospital into a different world. This old beige and bluish stone building was built after the Second World War in 1952, and it has not been renovated since. But it functions as this region's largest hospital. And it has electricity most of the time. <laughs> it covers an area by the size of Sealand. If you fall sick and need help in the region of Sealand, the hospitals there will have more than 5,400 hospital beds to take care of you. Magunga Hospital has only 300 beds, but covers the same area and the same amount of people. So this means you need to be really, really sick to go to the hospital in Kuragwe. When I go through the halls, it smells of blood from recent surgeries and it's dusty, even though the cleaning ladies are washing the floors all day long. And the first time I was there, I clearly remember, because I was actually scared. Because there's no running water in the hospital. So I had to prepare for myself like an emergency bucket of water, so I could wash my hands in case I got blood on them during the examinations. I find the rooms at the hospital that we are using for the research project, and it's already filled with hard, fast-working staff. We are ready to start the examinations of today. I'm a researcher working with vulnerable populations and aiming to secure a better health in pregnancy and in childhood. But today, I will be your travel guide to the Tanzanian healthcare system. So maybe right now you are asking, why is this lady in Tanzania? I would then like to ask you, have you ever wondered about how it would be to live in a place where malaria is part of your daily life? And maybe even also being pregnant or having children to take care of while also struggling with malaria. I will assume that most of you have not, and that's okay because we live in a country where we don't need to worry about this. So I want to give you some facts about malaria. Malaria is a disease that is transmitted to you through a bite from an infected mosquito. The bite transferred a, a parasite into your blood and then into your cells well, will multiply, sort of use you as a host. And you will become very sick with a high fever while more and more of your cells are being infected and killed. And in the worst cases, malaria can lead to death. In Kuragwe, 34% of all pregnant women have malaria in pregnancy. This is a lot. But malaria is also one of the world's leading causes of child death. So actually, it kills about half a million children every year. This means that every minute, a child under the age of five dies because of malaria. And this can almost seem unstoppable, but it's not. This happens despite malaria is completely treatable 
In Karakwe, we studied more than a thousand women during their pregnancies to figure out how big a problem malaria is. And most recently, we examined more than 600 of their children now aged between 5 and 12 years. And some of the things we measured in these children were the children's growth, the weight, blood pressure. We tested if they had malaria. We also tested for a lot of metabolic markers and looked at whether there was risk of diabetes. Many of you here would probably not like to be part of such a research project because it's unpleasant. You need to have your blood sample taken and you also need to take time out of your busy schedule. But I was shocked at the sheer number of women who wanted themselves and their children to be part of our project. Of all the more than 600 we asked, only two said no. Why? Because it was their path to healthcare. Because healthcare is not free in Tanzania. So join the study and maybe we can treat your child for malaria. And this high participation rate, I think, also necessitates some ethical discussion. As trained in Denmark, I would never ever take a blood sample from a child that refuses or is very scared if it's for research. But in Tanzania, the children did not have a choice. Their parents forced them. Most of the kids took it really calmly, but there were some that were very scared. And I will never ever forget this little girl who had to be restrained by both a staff member and her mother while she was screaming, Papa, Papa, she was calling for her father to come rescue her. <laughs> yeah. But it's important here not to take our Danish protocols to Tanzania, but be respectful of their needs. As a Danish researcher, I may see this child as a participant, and for me it's illegal to force her to take blood samples. But the mother was doing this with all of her best intentions, because she did not see this as a research project. She saw it as essential healthcare. So why is it then interesting and important for me as a Danish researcher to go to Tanzania and study malaria and pregnancy and childhood? Well, the answer is pretty straightforward. Healthcare resources are very sparse in Tanzania especially at rural areas. So therefore, it is also extremely important to use these resources the right way and where they're most needed. And therefore, research in pregnancy and child health makes a lot of sense. We want to find the most critical time periods where we can uh, provide treatment for malaria and thereby prevent that these children have a bad start in life. This is not only relevant to Tanzania, but of course many low and middle income countries around the world where malaria is a big part of the daily life and a big part of the healthcare system. We do not have to and we do not want to live in a world where 1,320 children die 
every day of a totally preventable disease. So next time you see a mosquito, maybe you can think about how this little insect can cause such a big problem. I hope you will think about how big part of life this disease, malaria, actually is other places around the world. And that is actually a leading cause of child death. But despite this, it is prevent prevention is possible. And we can contribute to it. For example, by conducting research uh, together with healthcare workers in Tanzania and other local uh, uh, places around the world. And remember that pregnancy and childhood is a very good window of opportunity to use limited resources to save lives. So for good and for bad, sometimes the littlest things can have the biggest impact. Thank you. Thank you, Lena. What a captivating story. Thank you. I will again take the opportunity for the first question. And I'm wondering if you could reflect for a moment on what was the most surprising aspect of your research experiences in Tanzania? Yes. So actually, I shared already one of the most surprising things was that so many wanted to participate. In Denmark, I've done studies in mothers and children, and we are very, very lucky if like 30% of who we invite wants to participate. So I was, I was very surprised by how easy it was to find people who want to participate, but now I understand why. But another thing that was surprising is also maybe how easy it actually was to do research. That there is really, really good, well-educated healthcare workers and researchers all over the world that really want to contribute and do something good for their local uh, environment. And are they eager for these collaborations? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And it's also important there to not just take advantage, but it needs to be a collaboration, yeah. Would anyone in the audience like to ask Morten? Uh, Lina, the work you're doing in Tanzania it sounds absolutely amazing and it's so good that you get focus on this part of the world. Have you uh, experienced when you, when you talk about it that whether there is a tendency for, for people in Europe and, and the US to generalize and apply lessons about the Tanzanian population to Africa in general? Uh, because I assume there's a big, big difference whether you're from West Africa, East Africa. Is, is there a debate about that to make sure that that gets nuanced as well or, or how does the community uh, mm. around research in developing countries handle the diversity? So I can share with you that um, a thing that we did actually research for in our study was gestational diabetes and um, we the, the criteria we used to test if women had that were the same as used as recommended for the whole world. And using these criteria showed us that 40% of the women had gestational diabetes, which they did not. They are super skinny and very physical active. They, do, they walk 20 kilometers a day. So this is not one size fits all. And I think that 
what we're doing in Tanzania should be very carefully also implemented implemented in other places around Africa. Africa is huge. There are so many different ethnicities, and I think it's very important to think about this one size does not fit all. So we cannot make assumptions about lifestyle, and we cannot make assumptions about genetic background, and we cannot Mm. make assumptions about guidelines developed in one area of the world being directly uh, applicable in another area of the world. No, absolutely not. Not, not, for example, with gestational diabetes, GDM in short, that can definitely not be used in (laughs) Tanzania. That's very important, I think. Yeah. Chris has a question. Yes, thank you, Lena. When you do research, particularly in a rural area where um, healthcare is very sparse, one would assume that there's still a practice of traditional medicine in these parts of uh, Tanzania. Did that uh, interfere at all with some of the stuff you're doing, or did you you see people that maybe would still practice that, or are just quite interested in? Mm -hmm. Very good question. So the people that are included in, in our project are all from a very rural area. So they don't see a doctor on a regular basis. If if they want to, they need to pay money for that. Um, so so um, we didn't really interfere with that. We were not able also to find any. We di- they, there are no medical records, so we could not see what their GP had tested for earlier. We had to do everything from scratch. So I think they do not go to the doctor very often, but they have um, some traditional medicines that they use, Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ula, next. All right, (laughs) thanks. So thank you for a very compelling story. Uh, So I'm just wondering if, you know, these uh, storytelling features that you, you know, use here, uh, do you wonder if you can sort of apply them to some other um, aspects of your research? Say, when you write up articles, could you sort of maybe use a bit of storytelling in those articles also? Just mm-hmm. reflections? I could try maybe and see if then it's easier <laughs> to publish. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. Also, maybe, but this is another discussion, but, but where should we publish our results? Is it just for the medical or scientific journals, or is it for other other medias? That's actually something maybe it could be more useful for. But good point. Could I extend a bit briefly on, on that question? Because when I thought about this in a, a similar way, but I, I sort of came maybe from the opposite direction, that you on a regular basis are publishing research articles. I know you published a chapter in a textbook recently, again, also for scientists, I believe. So how is your experience with that kind of communication different than what you're doing here today? I think it's completely different. Um, only also just because it's a different target audience I have here, but also different for me because I'm reminded actually why I'm doing the research when I'm doing this storytelling, and I have, sometimes you can forget yourself a little bit when doing statistics and our programming and whatever I'm doing to find these scientific evidences that are really important for us to have as evidence so we can change things, but it's good this way using these bit different words actually reminds me 
why I'm doing the research, I think. Yeah, it's been a very nice process, actually, <laughs> thinking about your re and talking about your research in a different language. Mm, that's an interesting reflection. Kevin, I think, has our last question. So we talked about traditional medicine. Your talk was about malaria, pregnancy, and I want to talk about just uh, regular medicine here. And I, I was thinking about malarone being used for the treatment of malaria in women who are pregnant, and then coartum, a newer medication being used for malaria. Do you feel like there's enough research going on about how the malaria treatment could cause effects on the fetus? That's a good question. And actually, some of our collaborators uh, are working in the same field station we are, testing different medications, how they are um, affecting like both pregnant women, children, and people in general in clinical trials. So there are research going on because we don't know enough. And this is quite, of course, some of these medicines are... I don't want to say toxic, but they are hard on your body. <laughs> For example, me, myself, I always get serious uh, stomach ache uh, yeah. when I take malaria medicine as a prophylaxis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I agree we don't know enough. Um, and we use this medicine a lot. So it should be continued to be improved. Thank you, Lena, for a very thought-provoking talk. Let's all thank Lena one more time. Kevin, could you come back up and join us? And I think we have two microphones, one for each of you. Good. And I'd like us all to reflect on Lena's and Kevin's talks taken together and this context of how we're bringing science to society. And I was reminded when I was thinking about this of this science business executive by the name of Ellen Kulin. And she once said that science is global, but solution is local. And I'd like to hear what Kevin and Lena think when they hear that statement. Well, I'm going to put that statement in the context of my talk. And I, science is global. The questionnaires that I was talking about in my talk, such as the ASQ and the SDQ and many others, are researched in many different countries. They're used... You know, there's many translations of these questionnaires, and, but when it comes to implementing them, it's local uh, solutions that you have to think about. As far as who is, where the people I'm seeing, uh, what's the solution about helping them to get the questionnaire filled out before they come in the exam room? So that's a local solution. There's not too many articles about that. <laughs> <laughs> you have to kind of figure that out for yourself. Lena. Tell yeah. us what you think. Um, so what came to my mind when um, you just asked this question is something that I think both Kevin and I agree on. is like one size does not fit all. Mm -hmm. And I think that fits quite perfectly with the global science because it's important that science is shared globally so everyone can take advantage. Also the ones in Tanzania. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but that solutions should definitely be local because... We are also very different from each other in Bonholm and in Foon and in everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So let's wrap up with one last question. And could you each tell us who or what inspires each of you? Yeah, big question. Um, I think there are several 
things and also persons that inspire me. But thinking about the project in Tanzania, there's one person particularly that inspires me. And I actually mentioned him in my story, Dr. Minja, who picks me up every morning I'm there and we go to work together. He is a fantastic researcher. He's um, done a PhD in Denmark, uh, but working in, in rural Tanzania. He has a fantastic CV and he is very brilliant. And he could have had an amazing job at some fancy private hospital in Dar es Salaam and have a great life. But he chooses to work in Kurokwe in a place with no electricity and running water <laughs> because he thinks it's important. So I have my utmost respect for him. I think he is, I cannot go up to his level of dedication. Um, so he's an inspiration. For me, I think in terms of a lifetime trajectory, when I was a young child, it was clearly my mother who influenced me the most, and my father too, uh, for better or worse. And <laughs> But as you go on, in high school I was a nerd, and I thought about this question a lot, and I, I thought, oh, Mohammed is Gandhi, Martin Luther King, and Thomas Jefferson. I don't know why I just like those three individuals and the, the way they thought. Uh, but now as I'm older, gosh, it's just people who are kind and empathetic to me. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, the criteria is kind of, you know, it's a lot more flexible now. <laughs> or there's nothing more important than that. Very nice. Thank you both for inspiring us here today. I hope you all have enjoyed the journey that you were taken on, both in and out of Denmark. I hope you learned something about life science research, but I hope that you also learned something about the very special people who are working every day to improve human health and well-being. Remember, if you'd like to hear more stories from scientists like this, please do check out our podcast, Postdocs Talking. It's on all your favorite podcast apps, and it's, of course, on our website as well. But I also want to leave by saying thank you to all of you, our very first live audience of this podcast. So thank you. Thank you.